Uh, we're in the last chapter of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, and uh, we're going to be reading from verse 2 to verse 9. Um, I just want to uh, address something, if, if that's okay, particularly for those that might be new here or uh, new on today or visiting, um, or perhaps new recent to our service. You may have heard a little bit of a commotion during prayer time. And many of us hear a commotion like that to varying degrees each Sunday. We're really blessed as a church uh, to have the Cocking family with us. And uh, I just wanted to, to acknowledge that. Um, Adam um, is a young man that we have known and been part of our church family for many years. I think he was about this big when I first sort of came to, to, to see him and meet him. And uh, he worships here with his family. Uh, John brings him and Merle. And, uh, and he's got an older brother, David, as well. And so he's been getting a, a lot older. So um, he has some special challenges. And uh, sometimes um, what was perhaps a, a noise when he was younger, as he's getting older, he's getting, uh, can get a little louder. So I just wanted to just explain that um, and honour them as a family. Um, John does an amazing job, and Merle, in, in caring for him and, and raising him. And they, he loves the music. He absolutely loves the worship here. And, and, and that's why they, they come each Sunday. So, and there's a number of guys in our church um, who have uh, offered to help and to, to take care of, um, of Adam at, at times where um, uh, he's, he's, he's triggered, some of the things that happen uh, and noises and so on. And so um, that's just to explain that. And uh, what I love about our church and as all churches that have Christ at the centre of them is that we're open and, and welcoming churches and uh, anyone, all of us can be a part of God's people here. So I just thought uh, it was appropriate to, to, to share that and uh, we're thankful for the Lord. I know I am for, uh, for that family. Um, let's have a look at God's word. Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 2 through to 9. Now, this is Paul writing um, directly and quite specifically to the Philippian church. I plead with Euodia... Euodia, I had that worked out this week. I plead with you, Euodia, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to the Lord, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is uh, admirable, pure and lovely, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, uh, Holy Spirit, the way that you have preserved your word uh, over the centuries. We thank you for uh, the confidence we can have that you are a God who speaks, that at the right time of history, according to your plan, uh, people wrote down your word and it's been preserved for us and we can hear it. We pray, Holy Spirit, that uh, God's word, your word, would be uh, something that penetrates our hearts, that our ears would be open, that our minds um, would be engaging, that our hearts would be softened and, uh, and that our hands and our feet would go and do the things that you have called for us to do. We thank you that you're a God who loves us, 
amazingly so. We thank you that you're a God in whom we can rejoice and celebrate, even in the midst of, uh, of terrible things that happen in our lives or things that leave us perplexed. We ask now that you'd speak to us clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, the founding father, one of the founding fathers of the United States, uh, and Thomas Jefferson is his name, and he was the third president of the USA. And he was the, the principal author of a very famous document many of us will be familiar with, known as the Declaration of Independence. And this is what the Declaration states. It says, among other things, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men, at the time they meant women too, uh, that all men and women are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness is a term uh, made famous more recently by a film uh, with Will Smith in it and uh, it was a film obviously that was um, demonstrating the, the drive in much of American culture as a result of this Declaration of Independence. The pursuit of happiness is an unalienable right for all people. And it's a goal that's embedded, in fact, not just in the United States, but right throughout Western civilization, especially, obviously, in North American culture. Uh, I know that we are Australians here today, um, but it would be pretty ignorant not to understand how much of an influence North American culture has had upon any Western country, but particularly uh, ours as one of them. A lot of our culture has been influenced, it's been shaped um, by the Western world's most powerful nation. There's no escaping it. In fact, this has been the case for, I was figuring it out, if you looked at history, it'd be up to some seven decades now that uh, we have been, some might say infected, uh, others would say influenced by um, a wonderful nation. Um, but you see, it's not just Western civilization that has at its heart, in its DNA, uh, the pursuit of happiness as an inalienable right. Um, I discovered something very interesting this week when doing a Google search. I was looking for a particular picture. I was doing a Google search uh, for a graphic and I typed in the summary of Philippians chapter two, uh, chapter 4, verses 2 to 9. And that was simply this, as uh, Carol did wonderfully praying us through it. Uh, Paul goes on to talk about joy, peace and purity. That's how we might summarise it. Joy, peace and purity. And I just typed in joy, peace and purity. See what image comes up. And do you know what came up? At least three pages full of the one quote. And the quote was by a man by the name of Sathya Sayababa. And Sathya Sayababa uh, is a Hindu guru. And the three words that summarise this morning's Bible reading, joy, peace and purity, turned up in my Google search but in the completely opposite order. This is, this is the quote, uh, and this is the first one out of three pages worth of memes. Your true nature is purity, peace, and joy. And that's what got me intrigued. I thought, no, I typed in joy, peace, and purity. And what intrigued me is, you know, it wasn't just one photo, it was three, three pages of, of these, these results, all attributed to Satya Saya Baba. What's fascinating about this particular Hindu, I thought I'd better look into the source of the quote uh, before using it, um, is that he lived his entire life uh, as a, um, a self-proclaimed divine reincarnation of one of India's or the Hindu religion's uh, over 300 million gods that they have. That, that's what he was. Um, and he was an amazing philanthropist. Don't get me wrong, this man did amazing things with the billions of dollars, estimated some 36 billion US 
is what um, he um, made or his, his organisation made over his life of being a guru. Um, they built hospitals, they built schools, he's built universities. Uh, a university in Canada has listed his university as, um, I think, in the top 37 from their perspective in the world. I've never heard of him before. Uh, he built an entire suburb, uh, an entire city of houses for dispossessed uh, people in his Indian country that had been wiped out by, um, uh, I think it was a flood at one stage. He just went in and built houses for them. Um, he died in 2011, about 12 years short of when he predicted he was going to die, and to this day he remains dead. <laughs> but sup I'm not making fun of other religions, don't get all offensive and, and overly sensitive. Um, we're the church, we're not into being overly sensitive. Um, but he made this money based on claims that he was a divine being, the incarnation of this other God. And so when I got to thinking, I looked at his life, and I was staggered I hadn't heard of it. I mean, someone with an M worth of $36 billion that you invest back into your community, you would think would have got uh, noticed. He certainly did in the East. Um, 500,000 people turned up to his funeral in 2011, and the Indian government have, uh, have certainly set him apart as a significant person in their, their society. But you see, all his teachings and all his good works have been done in his own strength. They've been done in his own way. Uh, they've been done according to his own self-belief and self-made spiritual religion. Uh, it was he that declared he's divine. And I guess he managed to gain and garner followers who believed him. And as I got to thinking, I thought this is entirely different to the life and teachings of the Apostle Paul. You see, Paul is writing here uh, to the first century churches. And each time he does, not only in Philippians, but in other letters in the New Testament, he's writing as someone inspired by God, the one true living God, the creator of all. He, he's not actually a self-proclaimed divine guru. And so Paul's writings and teachings and actions in life all point to Jesus from start to finish. He, he points the church, he points us still today as we read it, to Jesus to one person, the man who was truly divine, whose life and teachings and actions demonstrated that he was truly divine. Uh, why am I sharing this with you this morning, for those that are wondering? Uh, well, I thought this was a fascinating illustration of the difference between the word of the one true God, revealed through the teachings of apostles like Paul, and the word of false gods that gets revealed through the teachings of self-made self-proclaimed spiritual gurus. Uh, one is inspired by the, the one true God and points us to Jesus at all times, the truly divine man. The other is inspired by their own spiritual pursuits and points us back to ourselves, which perfectly illustrates what Paul has been saying right throughout this letter to the Philippian church. You see, if joy and happiness in life is all about um, our own efforts and all achieved through our own spiritual pursuits, then, then certainly the, the rule might be exactly as that meme said. Uh, pursue purity, live a righteous, upright life. Pursue purity and, and then you'll have peace, which will lead to joy. It's, it, that's the order. Purity, peace, and then you'll get the joy. Work hard at doing the right thing. Be the right kind of person. Uh, live a peaceful life, mind your business, reject any other influences that might not give you peace and joy. And once you do this, well, once you've strived for all this, then and only then you will discover happiness, true joy. 
But from this letter and from others that Paul writes to churches, letters that God inspires and continues to teach and shape us as his people today, we discover the complete opposite uh, to both Western thinking, that is, uh, made clear through the US Declaration of Independence that champions the pursuit of happiness uh, through human effort, that's what it says, take personal responsibility and you will achieve uh, um, joy and happiness. We discover it's opposite to Western thinking and it's also opposite to Eastern thinking, made infamous by the teachings of a self-proclaimed self-help guru like Sabia Bay Baba, May Baba, Saya Baba. It's not on my not on my page. Who remembers him? No, okay. <laughs> Don't, we only need to remember Jesus. Um, in God's inspired word, we learn that we are not to trust in our own efforts. In fact, it's disastrous if we do. We will head down a path that completely takes us away from God, even though it might look spiritual and it might look holy and wonderful. It's not. We learn not to live such a futile life as to try harder to just be a better person in the hope that we might attain happiness and joy and peace. Instead, from God's word, we learn that our best efforts don't and cannot impress or please or live up to the standard of our holy God, the God that created us and loves us. And, and um, no matter what spiritual, religious pursuits um, that even Paul put in, you remember he said in chapter 3, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, he was perfect as to attaining the law, uh, righteous to a fault. Despite all that, he realised that it was nothing compared to the greatness of knowing Christ Jesus and being known by him. You see, this is a message that God gave to Paul and the other apostles. It's the message that God continues to give to everyone that claims and looks to find the truth and the one true God. This isn't something that Paul's made up. This isn't something that we, the church, keep preaching and, and, and repeddling to try and uh, it's just another take it or leave it sort of message alongside all the other myriad of messages and self-help material that's out there today. This is the gospel. It's the good news and it's a message that comes to all people because it comes to us from God himself. And Paul here is just the messenger whose life's mission and purpose was to point people to Jesus. So as Paul finishes up this letter to the Philippians, what amazed me this week in this last chapter as I'm looking at the first half is the order that he unpacks for us in his final instructions to the church. He says that joy in the Lord comes first and foremost. Joy in the Lord comes first. And out of that, he then says, you can know peace, uh, a peace that surpasses human understanding, a peace that can be known and experienced. And then the last instruction. Oh, in light of this, rejoice in the Lord, have joy in the Lord, know and experience peace, don't worry about anything. Then work hard at being pure in the way we live and think. So let's look at what it means to have joy in the Lord first and foremost this morning, as we unpack those three things. First of all, joy in the Lord. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I'm, of the readings I've got this morning from here on in are from the New Living Translation. I love the way it reads, and uh, I, I just like it for something different after reading the NIV earlier. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. You see, our Lord Jesus has done so much for us in giving his life on the cross. In not only doing that, but three days later on the third day, coming back from the dead and rising again. 
And if joy is the ultimate pursuit of happiness in this life, then in Jesus, we get it first up. We get it because of what he's already done. It's not something we need to pursue and chase after. It's no longer a pursuit, but it now becomes a privilege that we look back upon and, and we bring into our present each and every day. It's, a, it, it's not a pursuit. It becomes a privilege. It's, it's a gift, this joy that's been given to us by God. Rejoice in the Lord, says Paul. It's important. He says, I'll say it again, rejoice. We already have joy. You've got every reason to rejoice. Uh, I'm so encouraged by what the women are going to be learning and being taught at uh, Camp Elam coming up. Uh, hearing that message this morning um, from Carol, a very fitting to our passage this morning. Rejoice in the Lord. Joy is already done for us on our behalf. So Jesus and what he's done is the source of our joy in this life. Joy then isn't the goal. Joy is something that we live out of, that we live in response to. It's the source that we already have to outlive a fulfilled and meaningful life in Christ. You see, self-help teaching and spirituality, and there is just so much of it that abounds today, tells us that joy is the goal to work towards, to strip off all the things that stop you from getting what makes you happy and satisfied. And the amount of people I know that do that by walking out on marriages, uh, walking out on all sorts of commitments and stripping themselves of things for their own pursuit, and, and it's, it's devastating. It has a devastating result and effect in our, in our society if that's our motivation, to pursue my own personal happiness. See, it's not a goal. It's something that we, as followers of Christ, live in response to. Following Jesus says something different. It says, no, it's not a goal. It says that joy is the source out of which we live. Knowing what Jesus has achieved for us, knowing that he's saved us, that he's put us in right relationship with the one true living God. Things that are both impossible in our own strength and efforts. So we're free to be considerate of others. Now think about this for a moment. Um, you, you, we're actually free because of this, because we don't have to pursue joy, because joy is, is based in the life and death resurrection of Jesus. It's been achieved for us. We no longer have to focus on our pursuit. We no longer become selfish, self-centred, self-absorbed people trying to get something out of life, which is what Paul says here. Um, he says that um, you can now be considerate of others. You don't have to be consumed by thinking about your own pursuit. Um, we're focusing on ourselves the whole time we do that, aren't we? We're not thinking about others. But when we live out of response to joy, when we can rejoice on a daily, moment-by-moment basis in what God's done for us, we are then free to be considerate towards others, to help others come to understand that joy, to see that joy, to understand that joy and experience it for themselves. I really want us as a church, I really trust we get this and understand it. I really do. I know many of us do, but it's something we've got to remind ourselves of I know myself in particular. I found this to be such an encouragement this week. In a world where joy and the pursuit of happiness is totally sold to us as reliant upon our own efforts, what you put in is what you get out. We discover here in Philippians chapter 4, 2 to 9, that the true and lasting joy is something that comes only from knowing Jesus Christ. Joy in the Lord so we can rejoice in him. Let me say it again, rejoice. You have every reason despite what's going on in your lives. We are saved. We are forgiven. We are redeemed. We are people that are empowered with the the indwelling spirit of God. The same power that raised Jesus from from, from the death is at work and is alive in each one of us. 
You know, um, the, the, the statistics today, and I'm not uh, clear on specifics, but the statistics today about the impact of mental health in our part of the world are, are quite alarming, and they're quite telling. And I'm not making light of that, because I know it's a, it's a real thing, uh, mental health. But think about this just for a moment. Anxiety, depression, despair, these things uh, all lead to all kinds of self-sabotaging behaviours, um, relational breakdown, heartache for individuals and, and for families to varying degrees. And these things are at arguably an all-time high in Western society. But think about this. Are we not the most modern, the most sophisticated, the most wealthiest, the most affluent? We have access to the most amount of information at any other time in any point of human history. And this is happening simultaneously. How does that work? How can we be so advanced and have such opportunistic lives while at the same time experiencing unprecedented levels of mental health and despondency? You know what another word is for despondency? Joylessness. I was fascinated to find that. I want to suggest that it's because our culture pursues joy and happiness and it's looking at all the wrong things to achieve it rather than knowing who Christ is and who we can be in Christ, the one true God, the true source of joy. And you know what? Paul's already figured this out 2,000 years ago because listen to the next three verses after reminding us of the joy we have in Christ. He says, don't worry about anything. <laughs> don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can hope to understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Here is the antidote, isn't it? Here is an antidote to all our anxieties and depressions and concerns that plague so many of us today, myself included. Now, maybe uh, you're, you're anxious and, and you're someone who, who suffers from this. And I know certain uh, personalities, we're different. We respond to things in our lives differently to others. And for some things happen that, um, some, for some people, things happen that make them way more anxious in their response than perhaps others do. I, I understand that. It's not as simple cut or as simplistic as I, I may be making it. But can I say as Christians, if you're an anxious person, as a believer, throw yourself back on the joy of the Lord. Paul says rejoice. Again, I'll say rejoice. You can rejoice. You have the joy of the Lord. Your life belongs to him. He loves you. He loves you. He's given his very life for you so you can know his forgiveness and have hope for this life and the next. So in all things, identify what's worrying you and ask yourself, why am I worrying about that? Why worry about that? Um, but Paul just doesn't leave it there. It's not like, don't worry about that. He gives us something that we can actually do. We're encouraged uh, to pray to God, to talk to him, to bring our concerns and lay them down before him. He's got the biggest shoulders in the universe. Um, lay your cares and your concerns and your anxieties on the Lord. Tell him about them. And notice there's two parts to the prayer here. We don't just pray to God and dump them on him. We also give thanks for what he's done for us. We're thrown back to the source of joy. We're thrown back to the source of joy. Father God, this is what's worrying me. This is what I'm anxious about. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what you've done for me at the cross. Thank you for the power of the resurrection, the same power that lives in me by your spirit. Thank you for who I am in him. And the results that we're promised is peace, lasting peace, because it's God's peace. A 
peace which surpasses all our human understanding. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, well, you have no idea how bad it is for me or how things have been in my life. And can I confess, I absolutely don't know. That's most likely, you'd be probably right. But I do know that God knows. Because God created you. And God knows all things about us. The scriptures tell us there's not a hair on our head that falls out without him knowing about it. Uh, It's a specific detail letting us know just how this amazing transcendent God is so concerned with every part of our life. I might not know what you're going through, but God does. So talk to him about it. Talk to him about it and follow up with thanks. Throw yourself back into the joy of the Lord. Well, when we pray like that, we'll have peace, and it's a peace uh, that is greater than anything we can hope to understand as human beings um, in our own thinking. We can't think ourselves out of these things. We need this sense of peace that God gives us, and it's something that we can guard our hearts and our minds with. Our heads, our our heads and hearts are guarded by God's peace that he willingly provides and makes known to us. You know, I think about my own life and some of uh, the times that I've laid awake at night being stressed out by all sorts of different things, Um, some of them silly things at my own fault, um, you know, own bad choices and so on. Um, Other things have been quite legitimate concerns, you know, even as a pastor, some of the things that, the, the burdens that, uh, that, that I bear, that I hear, that, uh, that people share, that I'm aware of what situations people are going through in their lives. And um, again, sometimes from poor choices, other times by no, no, no rhyme or reason at all. But I lie there and, and, I, and I do. And before I go to sleep, it works every time. I, I pass it on to God. You've got to go through it, you've got to process it and think it, but you pass it on to God and then I, I come back and, and I thank, thank the Lord for what he's done for me. I thank the Lord for what he's done for each one whose situation comes to my mind. Um, I remember this happening to me clearly one night uh, in my early days as a pastor and I remember just this epiphany because I thought I could do it. Uh, this epiphany, you have no idea what you're doing. Um, how on earth can I do this? How on earth can I do this? And God said, you can't. I remember it so clearly. He said, I was actually, I don't think Melissa remembers, but she's always there for me, but she didn't this time. I was sitting on the side of my bed. She was sound asleep, which is good. The Lord gave her good sleep. And uh, <laughs> I, was, I was sitting on the side of my bed and it was this epiphany and it was like an almost an audible voice. I don't know if you get that. I don't get it that often, but it was this. Now, how on earth am I going to do this? I'm pulling all these burdens onto myself. And he says, you can't. So you better be giving them to me and continue being grateful for the fact that I can. And, and it was just this complete clarity, this moment of clarity, that in my son Jesus, I can, and in my son Jesus, I have. So kind of get over yourself. That was the message for me. That was the other bit that he added on. That, 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 that was for me. That's the peace. That's the assurance that God can give. And it's a peace that guards our hearts and minds. And I carry that with me uh, into the, the ongoing ministry that the Lord calls me into. It's a peace that guards our hearts and minds. Joy in the Lord produces peace of heart and mind. And thirdly, Paul instructs us on what we can do in terms of our relationship and partnership with the Lord. See, it's not all passive. It's not just let go and let God. It's a partnership in relationship with God. And this is what Paul says, that we can take responsibility of our purity in thought and action. Have a look at verses 8 to 9. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me, says Paul. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, 
then the God of peace will be with you. You know, when I look back on the times uh, in my life where I've uh, been the most anxious, I've despaired the most, and I have battled with depression uh, several years ago in a fairly significant way. Um, You know, it might be as a result of habits that I can't kick, frustration with that, maybe a situation in your life that you just cannot fix, maybe a relationship that no matter what you do, no matter how much you try, it's not resolved and it doesn't seem to change. Um, But almost without exception, I've had to seriously challenge myself in those moments about my responsibility. What am I feeding my mind and my heart on? And you know what? It's no different to food. It's just like eating habits. You eat rubbish food, you get rubbish health. There's no way around it. No matter what, um, how many diet adjectives are put before things, right? Um, If it's rubbish food, you get rubbish health. You feed your mind and thought life on rubbish and that's exactly what you get. You get rubbish results in how you deal with the concerns of your life. Um, just this week, uh, I was speaking with William and uh, I was reflecting on uh, a particular time in my uh, first pastorate, just after I'd finished at Morling College down at Ingleburn Baptist. And um, I'd gone through a bit of a, a dark time. And, and you know, um, it, was, it was before the Lord gave me that epiphany. Um, that's why I was trying to figure it all out. But uh, um, you, know what I, you know what I was I was feeding on? I discovered this wonderful brand spanking new sport called mixed martial arts and uh, MMA, right? Now, I'm not judging anyone here, but at the time, this was brand spanking new. This was the stuff of Underworld. Uh, You knew it was probably happening, but you never actually saw it. And now it was being beamed in at late night primetime TV. Uh, This is where two guys, uh, two warriors get into a cage and they beat the literal life out of each other. Um, And there's blood all over the the, the tarmac and and the, and the, the, the... the ring, and you're not allowed out, they lock it, you know, you get in there, and uh, it's technically to the death, but of course there's an umpire that jumps in, and uh, in fact their whole job is not to look necessarily at the rules, because there aren't many, but to actually watch the pupils of each person getting beaten, and intervening at just the right time, and hopefully that they don't actually die. The goal is to make your partner pass out. Um, But you know, I was intrigued by it, and uh, I know it's not anything new today, it's on our nightly news, they give us updates, they've turned them into celebrities, some of these, some of these fighters and now multi-millionaires. Um, but I was mentioning that William, and William just gets this wise smile, as only a, a, a wise, godly person can give, and he says, oh well, I guess you've got the uh, perfect sermon illustration this Sunday, haven't you? Uh, fix your thoughts on what is true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. You know, yeah, that's, that is the passage this Sunday. That's right, indeed. Um, but instead, what we tend to do, don't we? At our worst times, at our times where we despair the most, so often we, we try and distract ourselves. We go and feed our minds and thoughts on rubbish. You know, this morning, it may not be MMA for you. Um, I, I get that. But what about other rubbish on TV? And there's plenty of it. You know, the increase in relation, dysfunctional relationships on TV as pure entertainment is just astounding today. And we've got to, we've got to call it out. It's rubbish. It's rubbish. It, it's bad enough having to endure it during the news in the TV ads, promoting it coming up. I have no idea how anyone in their right mind can sit and watch it and feed on it. Married at first sight. Rubbish. Home and away. Over three decades, generations have been feeding on this. Day in, day out. 
We wonder why we've got anxiety and, 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 and dysfunctional relationships and so on. Um, and we've got Netflix, Stan, Apple TV, Optus Fetch, Telstra TV. All of those are in my house. I dropped Foxtel a few years ago. <laughs> um, it got too much. Optus Fetch was a gift. Uh, Telstra TV was my father-in-law handing it to me one day when he came to visit. Um, yeah, anyway, I don't have to justify myself to you. But the choices <laughs> are endless. There's plenty of material, isn't there, to fill our minds with. And that's not even including your own research on the internet um, and, and, and the information that we have exposure to. You know, it used to be the worst thing was having to, to queue up at, shopping, at, at the shopping checkout and, and have to be influenced by maybe the covers of three magazines, you know, like all the garbage there. That, that's nothing now. That, that's harmless uh, compared to the amount of information and rubbish we have that we can feed on. And we wonder why people get anxious. We wonder why we're anxious. We wonder why we get depressed. We wonder why God seems distant. God won't speak to me. He's not real to me. We've been praying to him for ages while we're feeding on this stuff. Um, next Sunday's passage ends with another problem in our society and, and a direct uh, answer, solution to it. And that is in terms of contentment. How we can be content as God's people with much and with little one. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, William is going to be preaching on that next Sunday. Um, you may know that we, uh, William uh, has finished up preaching this year, but uh, you never retire from preaching, do you? And uh, thankfully, William was um, happy to step in at a fairly short notice. Uh, I'm away next weekend, um, and Nathaniel and Jenny uh, are away on leave uh, for a couple of weeks. So thank you, William, for that. We're looking forward to that next Sunday. But I want to implore each of us this morning to spend some time this week and just perhaps reevaluate what, what rubbish we're feeding in. And you know what? I'm preaching to myself uh, just as much as to anyone else here. I don't usually um, preach a message of uh, ethical behaviour and moral behaviour because I don't believe um, we're called to in the scriptures. We're actually called to preach and proclaim Jesus Christ, salvation that comes through him and, and, and who we can be in him. Um, but, you know, Paul finishes nearly all his letters with a little bit of instruction. And he pulls no punches, and it's in God's word, and we need to be challenged by it as well. Paul reminds the Philippians and us to continue practicing all that he's taught. He's their example. We're to continue practicing the teachings of God's word, is what he's saying. Um, at the time, he's using himself as the example because there was no formalized God's word yet, and he was writing it, and they were living this out, guided fully by the Spirit. Um, for the Philippians, it was Paul who had brought them God's word, who had brought them the gospel and who was encouraging them by letter. For us today, it's, it's the letters we have from the apostles and it's God's word that is quickened and made alive in our hearts. And you know what this produces in a church? When we get these three things right, when we celebrate and rejoice and know who we are in the joy of the Lord that comes first and foremost, when we're promised uh, our minds and hearts being guarded by the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, um, when we put into, uh, take responsibility for our thoughts and our actions that focus on things that are honourable and right and pure, we get unity. We get unity amongst God's people. And uh, if we go back to the start of the verses in our passage this morning, in chapter 4, it's an important thing to Paul as well as he pleads with two people that weren't unified in the Philippian church. They once were, we can assume, because Paul is concerned that they're not now. Um, they were clearly serving partners in the gospel along with Paul and others. And now for whatever reason, we don't know the reasons, but Euodia and Syntyche 
are no longer unified in Christ. I plead with these two women, says Paul, to be of the same mind in the Lord. He goes on in verse 3 and he asks someone in the church to make sure that these women work out whatever the issue is that has caused their disunity. He doesn't choose, he doesn't get to the bottom of who's right and who's wrong. They're both responsible for getting right and getting unified again. And this is important to Paul because he knows how important it is to the church's mission and witness in the world. Unity and love for each other as disciples is how the world knows that we belong to Jesus. That's what Jesus said. It's by your love for each other as disciples that the world will know you are mine. Well, joy in the Lord that promises peace of heart and mind as we participate and practice in purity and thought and action. That's the summary of this little half of the end of Philippians chapter 4. And might I suggest that our new natures in Christ Jesus can actually be joy, peace and purity. And it's very much in that order. Firmly based in the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ who went before us. Let's pray. Our Father, as we've prayed each week from Philippians chapter 1, we pray again that our love would grow more and more in knowledge and wisdom so that we will be able to examine and determine what's important in life from amongst everything else. Father, as with Paul, we cry out, may we know Christ and him crucified. May he be our true source of joy, which brings about peace in our lives and in the lives of others. Father and Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us to discipline our thoughts and our minds so that we might grow in purity, honour and truth. And on the day of Christ's return, May we stand blameless and pure, only able to boast in him, knowing we did not labour in vain, but that we did so in response to your grace towards us. And we pray this so that you would be glorified and your kingdom might grow. In Jesus' name. Amen.